Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. That's my code for four guests. Bonnie D. in the house, happy to be here. We've got a really interesting topic for all of you. I want to thank Ryan Treasure, EVP. He's got a new title at Voice America World Talk Radio, who is the voice of my intro, and he is our special engineer today. So, Ryan, thank you and welcome. We are live on LinkedIn. We are live on Facebook. I want my guests, even before I identify you and have you introduce yourself, ready, wave hello. Hello, LinkedIn. Hello, Facebook. We have some live viewers there. It's always nice to see. Yes. So let me tell you what our topic is today. The future of literary heroines, perfect or flawed and vulnerable. Oh my. Those of you who love to read novels, this is for you. Those of you who love to see literary also applies in my world to film. Who's that girl on the screen? Who's that woman on the screen? What is she doing? Do we like her? Do we want to be like her? Do we want to follow her? Well, let me give you a couple of buzz quotes, and then I'll have my esteemed guests introduce themselves. So I have a quote from writersdigest.com. Listen up. Today's female reader ah, is pressed for time. She is demanding as hell, and she's both scared and excited about the future. Female detectives, athletes, and presidential candidates were rule breakers simply for trying in the past. Today's heroine has declared herself her own authority. She has to relate. She has faith. She has wisdom. That's one quote, again, from writersdigest.com. Here's buzz number two. This is from teaandinksociety.com. I have to find out who they are, Clea. I think I want to join them. The best literary heroines are worth imitating. Mostly fictional, but they have a great deal to teach us about ourselves and the real-life stories we find ourselves in. Ooh, that's powerful. Here's quote number three, the buzz three, and this is from Good Housekeeping. I didn't know they were still publishing a magazine, but there's something called goodhousekeeping.com. Great female characters like the great women you come across in real life can change your perception of what's possible. They inspire you to take risks, stand your ground, go on great adventures, or simply speak up for yourself. Not perfect people. They are flawed and vulnerable, just like we all are. And now I want to give you for buzz number four, this is from bustle.com, a couple of ideas of who these heroines might be. How about Bridget from The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants by Anne Brashers? Okay. How about Captain Holly Short from Artemis Fowl by Eon Colfer? How about Mia Thermopolis from The Princess Diaries by Meg Cabot? And there are so many others, modern heroines in literary. So raise your hand and wave when I call you. We have Clea Simon. Clea, welcome back. You've been on so many shows with me. And thank you for assembling this wonderful panel. We have Edwin Hill, new to the show. Edwin, we're delighted to have you. I understand you've just just published and dropped a book, and we want to hear about that as well. We have Katrina McPherson. I'm struggling with her last name, but she said I, I'm okay no matter how I pronounce it. Katrina, welcome. I got it right. Yay. And we have Carolyn Marie Wilkins, and she said I can just call her Carolyn for the rest of the show, but her author name is Carolyn Marie. And again, I'm Bonnie D, and we're talking today about the future of literary heroines. Are they perfect, or are they vulnerable and flawed in any order you choose? So let's go around the table and have introductions. Clea Simon, welcome back. I'm just always delighted. You always have so much to say and share with us, and I love your predictions. This is a prediction show. Clea, I'm putting you on full screen speaker view. Please do me the honor of. Clea, I'm going to take a guess. Um, I've got my calculator out, and I'm thinking, you've been on so many shows with me here, that there might be 8.4 people around the world who 
don't remember you. <laughs> Last time it was 12. Now it's 8.4. I, I know who they are, but I'm not telling. Would you please reintroduce yourself to those 8.4? Shame on them and anybody else who's never met you before. Clea, full screen. Go ahead. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Bonnie. Um, I am Clea Simon, as you said, and I am... Um a writer of crime fiction, like like all my esteemed colleagues here, uh, I tend to waver between the soft and the hard. So that means I've got the the cozies, i.e., the sort of gentle whodunit mysteries, um, and the harder boiled uh, psychological fiction, psychological suspense of my my latest Hold Me Down, uh, which I have up behind me, um, which has sort of maybe more realistic people and sort of more realistic tough situations. But uh, that means this topic interests me because I see it from both sides. I like to look at uh, how, in a, a, a gentle, fun way, uh, female characters, uh, women characters have progressed over the years, but also maybe look at how contemporary books are dealing with things a little bit more realistically as well. A little more realistic, and that could be scary. Can't it, Clea? That can really be scary. We're in times of such incredibly moment-to-moment -moment change. To whom are we looking up? Who do we want them to be? Thank you so much. Edwin Hill, welcome. I've heard such wonderful things about you. I have a brief bio and love to have you introduce yourself to my viewers and listeners. Edwin, all yours. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks so much for having me here today. Um, so my name is Edwin Hill. And like yeah, and like all of the panelists, I write uh, crime fiction. Uh, my first three books were about a literary heroine named uh, Hester Thursby, who I hope we get to talk a little bit about today. Uh, she's a librarian. She's a Harvard librarian, and she also uh, finds missing people on the side. One of the interesting things about that series was that it... Uh, um, that description that I just gave you makes it sound like it was on the lighter side of the mystery spectrum, but it actually was not on the lighter side of the mystery spectrum. It was a very dark uh, series that was that sort of veered into uh, noir, and um, it was an interesting experience to see reader reaction to Hester as a character. She's a very flawed character. She's a very um, she's a very uh, thoughtful and deep character, and. Um, I, I really enjoyed getting to know her, and I know some readers enjoyed getting to know her, and some readers didn't like getting to know her. So that was kind of interesting as well. I have my first, um, it hasn't quite dropped yet. I have, a, I have my first standalone book coming out at the end of this month in, in two weeks. I have it right here. It's called The Secrets We Share. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also set in Boston, like all of my books are set in Boston. Um, and it, it's, it's, a standalone, uh, it's a standalone book, meaning that the, there are new characters in it. Uh, and I'm really excited about today's discussion. Thank you very much, Edwin. Is it possible that your new standalone book, The Secrets We Share, could become part of a series with repeating those characters? Is that something that could be in the back of your writer's mind? What do you think? It could be in the back of my mind. There are definitely characters that um, I could pull through into a series. I actually pulled a few characters from the um, from the series into this into this um, into this book in, in supporting roles. Um, so I like to. I, it was fun to sort of have everything interconnected in in in. The, sort of in my the universe that I'm creating. So yes, I could use these characters again. Um, and uh, readers have definitely liked the protagonist in this novel, so I could see her going on and becoming uh, a series character as well. Just wanted to give a little possible teaser spoiler to your viewers and listeners. And also a question <laughs> for you, Hester. Hester Prynne comes to mind. Wasn't she in the Scar Wasn't she the Scarlet Letter? Is there any reason you pick? Ah, see, Claire, the, the memory's still working there. It's amazing to me what's still I mean, going I'll on. I'll tell you, you name character, I, I name characters, 
when you're writing a novel, you can get caught on naming a character for hours. And yes. like, the you know, a whole day has gone by and all you've done is look at baby naming sites. <laughs> and so I tend to name characters very quickly. So tomorrow I might come up with a character and name it Bonnie just because we were talking today. And then as, as the character becomes, as I refine the character, I'll, I'll change the name here and there. But I'll tell you, Hester, it's like so pathetic. But I was, I was, I came up with Hester as a character and she had a little kid and I thought I'll call them Hester and, and Pearl, uh, which is like so pretentious that I almost threw up a little bit in my mouth. And so the next day I was like, one of these names has got to change. So, but I kind of liked the name Hester. So I changed the, uh, I changed the kid's name to Kate, uh, but Hester sort of stuck. So it's got this like weird literary uh, connection in there, but uh, uh, it's only, but it's only because I was, I was being lazy one day. I don't think so at all. Thank you for that sidebar. <laughs> I, I enjoyed that. We were, you know, I, Cleo, we need to get everybody back for a show. And how do you name your hero? It's in your heroines, right? And the role of tech. Oh, my goodness gracious. We got it. Edwin, thank you. That was absolutely delightful. I, I am writing a, uh, a almost thriller, almost murder comedy novel. It's a novella. I'm up to 11,000 words, so you know. But I am working on it every day now. I took a six-month writer's block break. That was my excuse. And now I'm, I'm diving into it every day. But the naming is part of how the characters were named is how their families named them. And that's part of what I'm writing about is what was the family tradition? Who did they want them to be named? What were the options? What did the father want to name the future if it was a girl, if it was a boy? What did the mother and what did they settle on and what nickname? So I'm making a whole big deal in my book about how people name their kids, but it's a comedy. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'd love to have any of you read it when it's done. It's, it's hysterically funny. I can't get through a page without laughing. I think that's good. Let's move on. Katrina McPherson. I'm so happy to have you and see you and love them. Are, are those your real books? That's not a virtual background, is it? Those no, are these real are real books. I know someone, I have been asked that, where did you get your background? And I thought, oh, <laughs> it's my, just take a picture of it and sell it. You could do it, make it into, <gasps> make it into an NFT. You could sell it for a book, a bookshelf background. <laughs> so not me. You could, <laughs> I could. We'll, we'll work on that. Well, Ed, Edwin and I will work on that. Okay. Katrina, I'm putting you on full screen, please. This is too much fun. Supposed to be a very serious topic. How dare you? Katrina, Katrina, be yourself. Welcome. Please introduce yourself. What's your passion for literary heroines? Katrina, go Hi, ahead. Hi, Bonnie. Thank you so much for having me. NFT, I think that's a sport. Um, I can. What I can do is write. I'm, that's all I've ever done. It's all I can ever do. So, yes, I am a crime fiction writer. I write uh, pretty much across the spectrum, except I keep forgetting about spy thrillers. So I write comic capers about a Scot in California. I am a Scot in California. About a woman called Lexi Campbell. That's Lexi spelled L-E-A-G-S-A-I-D-H, which is how you spell Lexi in Scots Gaelic. <laughs> so it's Katrina with an O dialed up to 11 so she can feel all my pain. I gave her a lot of my experiences. So she is a fish out of water Scot in California, like me. I also write... Uh, series of um, preposterous detective stories set in the 1930s in Scotland featuring uh, an aristocratic sleuth, Dandy Gilver, who's a, a married, bored, upper-class married woman who falls into uh, detecting, um, which is a lot of fun. And, you know, there's a lot of suspension of disbelief once you're back in the 30s. People are used to the idea that amateurs solve murders. And I also write... I'm not sure I've ever gone as dark as uh, Clea has with Hold Me Down. <laughs> um, but I also write psychological suspense thrillers, 
um, about modern Scottish women. They're all in Scotland. One goes over the border 100 miles at one point. Um, and these are books where maybe Edwin and uh, Clea, anyway, and possibly Carolyn would agree that the, the best way to describe them is we meet someone on the worst day of our life and follow her downhill from there. So, but redemption, because for me, my interest in future heroines is got to let them survive. You've got to survive. Thank you. I know there's nodding. Carolyn's nodding. That's, that's very important for me. Very, very interesting. And, and can you give us, an, what are the names other of your other characters? Do you have anybody else you want oh, to Oh, the naming. Us? I was nodding my head off yeah. when you were talking about naming there. It's so difficult. I tried to have a Tash in three, a Tash short for Natasha, three times. And the first time she turned it, she went from Tash to Gloria and she became <laughs> 10 years older with a completely different look. She had long, you'd call them braids, I'd call them plaits, wound around her head when they were still wet and pinned in. So they dried tight and crispy which becomes, and that's a Gloria hairdo, that's not a Tash hairdo. Um, <laughs> yes, it's very difficult, and it's very difficult also to not have everyone in my books called Mick something or Mac something. It's very distracting on the page, yes. but it's, it's, um, it's like not having all the O's if you write Irish fiction. Um, that's my main, I'm always writing down Scottish sounding names in a sh with a Sharpie on my hand. Code, code there. Okay. Thank, thank you very much. I never thought about the naming, but it is so important. Edwin, you just sparked that when you said Esther. And by the way, the, the Jewish festival of Purim is starting, and there's a Queen Esther, as you may know. So there's Esther and Hester, and I always think of the biblical Esther, Queen Esther, and all the. Yes, so Esther, Hester, very interesting. Thank you, Katrina. Delighted to meet you. Interesting going to the dark side of your characters. Carolyn Marie Wilkins. Carolyn, for two us. Welcome so much. We'd love to hear about you. I don't see any books in the background, so you have to tell us who you are, what you write. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Hold it, hold it up. Okay, go I ahead. did think to bring them. So yes, thank you so much for having me. And like my colleagues here, I am, of course, a crime fiction writer. Possibly unlike my colleagues, I'm also a jazz musician. And a among the other books that I've written, I've written a singing textbook about how to sing jazz and rehearse with a band, totally random. And I've written two memoirs about my family um, because I also did quite a lot of ancestor research. And my grandfather was the very first African-American ever to be an undersecretary of labor, assistant secretary of Labor, excuse me, under President Eisenhower. So I've written other books, but my mystery books are um, Mojo for Murder, Melody for Murder, and these two were written about um, an amateur sleuth who, surprise, surprise, is a music teacher on the south side of Chicago, and her lovely, talented, but troubled student have a tendency of getting themselves in all kinds of predicaments and her name 
to add to this whole name conversation, her name is Bertie Bigelow. And those were my first two mysteries. And then I wrote a third mystery here, which is called Death at a Seance, in which I wanted to write about a psychic because I am also a psychic, among other things I do. And I wanted to write about an African-American psychic. Uh, Death at a Seance is set in southern Indiana in the 1920s, and it's kind of a, a mystery slash paranormal slash historical thing. Um, so those are my uh, books. And I'm currently at work right now, hard at work, I will say, on a standalone book, which will explore the similar themes of Death at a Seance, but with new characters who hopefully will be even more interesting and enthralling and put in even more difficult predicaments. So that's me. Interesting, and I noticed there's an MC in front of the name Carrie. What was it, Carrie McFarland stories? McFarland. I, I had to I had to tell Katrina that she probably knew that already. And how did you decide that that would be her last name? Clea, just one second, I'll get to you. Go ahead. So what was interesting about that was that is actually the name of my great great grandmother, Carrie McFarland, and I wanted to tip the hat to her uh, and include her and. After I finished this book and I put it out and everything, I definitely kind of received the hint from my ancestors that they do not need to be named in any more of my books. They don't want to be involved in any more murders, any more skullduggery, any more messes. Um, so please leave them out of it. So <laughs> my next characters will not be named in any relation to me. Wow. And you, and you know, there's an old adage, and I don't know if you all agree with this, but I think Carolyn Marie Wilkins is living this, right about what you know. Musician, music teacher, jazz, psychic, right? What you know. Ancestors, absolutely. Clea, you had a naming story. Tell me. Yes, yes. All this is coming up. And I, I had to say, um, Carolyn, I'm, I'm with you on that. I've been thinking of uh, my great-grandmother is Malka, a.k.a. Molly in Yiddish, um, and, and she's coming up in a, a work. But uh, but Katrina, I was when you said that about resilience, um, I was reminded of a a favorite, you know, I have it on a t-shirt, so it's a favorite motto. It's a Jenny Holster. Um, in a dream, I saw a way to survive and I was filled with joy. And that's sort of a something to live by. But talking about names, for all our thoughts, sometimes I feel like the names just come to us. Um, in Hold Me Down, my, my main character is, is Gal Raver. I don't know why she's Gal Raver. She just is. But um, her her uh, BFF, her former drummer, uh, was Amy, spelled in the French fashion, A-I-M-E-E. -E. And I came up, talk about right what you know, I came up in the Boston rock scene. Um, and so I came up with Amy Mann. So a lot of my early readers were like, oh, this is Amy. I was like, no, 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 this is my Amy. <laughs> she's nothing like her. Okay, she does sort of have the same haircut, but I don't know, she's just a different person. She's not based on Amy Mann. 
having said that, now everyone's going to be reading this and going, is it Amy Mann like this? But no, she wasn't. <laughs> but the name was just, sometimes the names just come to you. Interesting. I should have named this this segment today, uh, Literary Heroines in, in Novels and Film, What's in a Name? I should, I should have done that. Because it's, it's absolutely fascinating. I've written a couple of romantic comedy plays, and I don't even remember, it was several years ago. I had no trouble naming my people, but in my, my new novelette, I am introducing um, something called robo-valets, and I have to name these humanoid androids that will escort older people who live in a retirement community across the parking lot to their cars if it's raining or snowing because the HOA doesn't want any lawsuits for trip and fall accidents in the parking lot. So I have created two very, very sexy a male and a female robo valets that will escort them to their cars and flirt with them in natural language, empathetic, wow language. And I'm writing this. And this is on the first page of the damn book. I'm having so much fun with this part. I was up the other night writing till two in the morning saying, what am I going to do with it? And then they're so popular. Everybody's lining up to be escorted across the parking lot. Nobody wants to work to their cars. So they have to have these, these twins who invented this startup whose parents are on the board of directors, of course, of the community who are told to give the company a, the community a discount. They have to bring two more robo-valets because people are just lining up waiting to be escorted by these sexy androids to their cars. So now I have to name two more. It's really <laughs> challenging. Anyway, thank you. This was a lovely sidebar. I never thought we would go there. So let's go to our opening quotes. We'll get to the predictions eventually. Don't worry. Clea Simon has sent us a quote from Bad Reputation, 1980 album and song by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Bad Reputation is their debut solo album by Joan Jett. She's the lead in backing vocals and rhythm guitar. By the way, Carolyn, I, I'm a drummer. Just wanted you to know. And with little red drum boots and lots of red drumsticks. See? So we could have a band. Yeah, That's what you're same, saying. I was thinking the same thing. The <laughs> I album play bass. Was, there, there you go. Oh, I'm, I've been looking. The The uh, album reached number 51 in the Billboard 200, and it was featured, it featured Jet Back by members of the Roll Up with Leah Hart on guitar, Peter Jeff Peters on bass, and Paul Simmons on drums. There we go. So here is the quote. A girl can do what she wants to do, and that's what I'm going to do. Clea, take two minutes. I want to keep this moving along. What does this have to do with our topic? about literary heroines. Go ahead. Well, uh, both in, uh, in in substance and in, in origin. Um, I like to think that we're getting past the point, maybe we're finally getting past the point uh, of uh, strict gender roles, uh, both in terms of what Joan Jett was doing now, oh, 40, uh, 50 years ago, if you count the Runaways or First Band, um, and, you know, getting out there, you don't just have to be the chick singer. It's, it's funny when um, a lot of the reviews of Hold Me Down, people talk about them as a girl band. It's like, no, they're a band. Um, and the same with the uh, heroine the, the female heroines, mm -hmm. I guess all heroines are by definition female, mm -hmm. uh, the, the heroines, the sheroes, uh, the female protagonists of our fiction, I like to think that they can do whatever they want, they can be whatever they want. Uh, that goes from the extreme of being, you know, really nasty. Uh, if you take like a Megan Abbott, uh, she's a, a master, I don't want to say Matt, don't want to say mistress, she's a master of uh, the, you know, the evil gal protagonist, uh, some real mean girls, um, uh, you know, overall all the way to your, you know, your downright uh, heroic heroines uh, who, you know, it's save the neighbor, save the cat type uh, people. Um, so that's why I chose that quote. I'm like, you know, we're just going to call us, we can call ourselves girls, we can call ourselves women, we can call ourselves simply human beings. Let's just do what we want to do. 
There you go. Thank you very much. Do what we want to do. Girls just want to have fun. Can I get a Cindy Lauper quote in there somewhere? I'm sorry, kids. Okay, let's move on. Edwin Hill has sent us a quote from a 1944 American crime noir, crime film noir. The movie was Double Indemnity. Boy, you're digging back into history here, Mr. Hill. And the character Walter Neff N-E-F-F, played by Fred McMurray. You all all remember him from various shows. I think My Three Sons was his. I don't remember. All kinds of shows. To Phyllis Dietrichson, played by Barbara Stanwyck, classic actress. And here's the, I'm going to read the scene and then the quote. So Edwin, just bear with me. Walter Neff says, you'll be here too. And Phyllis says, I guess so. I usually am. Walter says, here's the quote. Same chair, same perfume, same anklet. And Phyllis, Phyllis says, I wonder if I know what you mean. And Walter says, I wonder if you wonder. So Fred McMurray starred as an insurance salesman. Barbara Stanwyck was a provocative, ooh, housewife accused of killing her husband. And of course, Edward G. Robinson was the claims adjuster whose job is to find phony claims. It's regarded as a classic, often cited as having set the standard for film noir. And it was co-written by Billy Wilder and Raymond Chandler. There you go. So same chair, same perfume, same anklet. Sounds like a title, great title for a mystery book. Edwin, how'd you find us? And what does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. Uh, well, I, I mean, I love film noir and I love uh, this, this, this movie, this book in particular, we're talking about the movie version. Um, one of the really interesting things about this movie for me is that Barbara Stanwyck, who at the time was the uh, highest paid actress in Hollywood, was actually very nervous about taking the role because uh, Phyllis is such an unlikable character. Um, And I find it so interesting that uh, whatever, how many years is that now? Uh, uh, Many years later, um, (laughs) that is the, you know, that's the, that's the role of her career. That's that, that is the role that defined, you know, for someone who was in, I think she was in over a hundred movies over her career. Um, that movie defines uh, really who she is as as an actress. Um, and it's such an interesting and provocative role. Um, and I love the way these two characters go back and forth between each other as they as they sort of um, they vie for power over each other. That's really what the what the whole novel is about. And neither of them has a single redeeming quality. I mean, it's delightful to see. I mean, they're horrible, horrible people. They step into the, they start the movie as horrible people and they end the movie as horrible people. And yet you're still sort of rooting for them the entire time. Uh, so I think it's a, it's just like a feat to, it's like a feat of storytelling to, to be able to do that, to return the conversation to someone like Megan Abbott, who does that so well with her uh, noir tinged, uh, no, she writes noir uh, novels really about teenagers. Um, in general, and they're usually terrible, terrible teenagers, and yet you're rooting it for them the entire, like from the beginning of the book to the end. And so that that that's why I chose that. Well, Edwin, maybe we can call them perfectly flawed. <laughs> <laughs> They're not perfect. They're flawed, but they're perfectly flawed. So we got that word in there somewhere. Thank you so much. Fascinating. By the way, that was, I think, 78 years ago. That's oh, very good. Thank you for was. doing I, the math. I, I, had, I, I, had, I play Wordle. Does anybody play Wordle here? Anybody oh, yes. Do Wordle. And do you know that, uh, I shouldn't admit this, but AARP, somebody sent me an article. There are 11 similar games based on Wordle. Some of them are daily. Some of them are whenever you refresh the screen, they just come up. So I've been playing it side by side where you solve one and the letters from that first word go into a second word and you can't solve the second one till you solve the and you only get six tries 
Ah, there are mathematical ones now where you have to have a formula with a plus or a minus or a, 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 a very hard to do. Anyway, a lot of brain teasers and words with friends. I'm I'm up to 52 games and that's my sleeping pill. I play words with friends at night on my big iPad on my bed. When the iPad falls off the bed, I know, oh, turn off the light, time to go to sleep. That's it. So let's move on. Katrina has sent us a quote from, oh, what a classic movie, Moonstruck. Rose Castorini, played by the beautiful, late, great Olympia Dukakis, says to Jimmy, played by Louis. It's Louis DiBianco. It's just me. I want to eat. And the the story, of course, is Loretta Castorini, 37-year-old widowed Italian-American, Brooklyn Heights, singing, she's a bookkeeper. She lives with her parents in Brooklyn Heights. She falls in love with her fiancé's hot-tempered, estranged younger brother, and she lives with her father, Cosmo, her mother, and the family interactions, and there's a bakery, and there's a fabulous young Nicolas Cage in the movie. So again, ah, the quote it's just me. I want to eat. Set the scene for us, Katrina, please. Yeah, I just love it. It's one of my favorite films. And I mean, Nicolas Cage is gloriously bonkers. It's like someone <laughs> said, you overreacted in that other film. And he said, challenge accepted. It's just <laughs> wild. But to me, the Roma and, and Cher is so beautiful. She's so perfect. But that's not what I love about it. What I love is Rose, Rose and Cosmo, and especially Rose. And this scene shouldn't feel so key because she's alone. She finds herself alone. Everybody's out. Uh, you know, her father-in-law's out. Her brother and sister-in-law haven't turned up. Cosmo's not there. Hmm. Uh, Loretta's gone out. And she's on her own. And instead of pouring a bowl of cornflakes, she puts a nice jacket on and she strolls down to this very nice restaurant with white tablecloths and goes in and orders herself dinner and says, and then a martini with two olives, it's just me I want to eat. And I just love that, that a woman takes up that space and says, I'm not, you know, I'm not making toast. I'm going out and I'm going to sit and eat a meal because it's still <clears throat> in some circles and to some extent, and, you know, our, our, you know, our least confident self sometimes feels transgressive to just feed ourselves what we want to eat. I've lost count of the number of times my there's a, a fish and steak come to the table with me and my husband and the waiter doesn't even ask. And then we go, no, actually, he's having the fish. You know, it shouldn't be. <laughs> As, you know, this thing about if I don't want pudding, you would call it dessert. If I don't want pudding, we put it down in front of him and bring two spoons and smirk. And I say, no, if I wanted death by chocolate, I'd be dead. I don't do that. So I, Rose is my role model for admitting that we eat, and it's okay. Oh, that is so funny. I've, I've done that on rare occasions where I was with a boyfriend who was traveling, and he was actually sailing a big uh, a big sailing ship. He was one of a crew in a, in a competition, and I had to go to Bermuda ahead of him many years ago. And I chose, was I going to get room service? Was I just going to, I don't know, buy a snack in a store? Or was I going to go to the restaurant and sit by myself? It's not easy. You just, if you're going to do it, do it in a full-length fur coat, drinking absinthe out of a vase. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> be perfect and be flawed and, and just live with it. Deal with it and enjoy your absence and luxuriate in your fur coat if we're allowed to have those anymore. Go far. I still, go far. I've still got a couple of minks in the closet, but I don't know if there's any PETA people around here. So I And it's North Carolina, so I don't think. Although it's been 32 degrees at night, I could have. Here we go. Carolyn Wilkins has sent a quote from the Isley Brothers 1969 song. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. Everybody want to sing that with me? Clea's moving around. Edwin, you remember that song? It's your thing. Do what you want to do. Let me give you a little background here. It's the funk anthem. An artist, you know the story, Carolyn. Uh, the, uh, let's see. The Isley Brothers left Barry Gordon 
Barry Gordy's Motown, and they went out on their own. And Barry Gordon, Gordy was not happy, and he tried to sue them to bring them back. So they went out and re-upped their own label. And the chorus was, it's your thing, do what you want to do. I can't tell you who to sock it to. It ranked number 420 on the 500 greatest hits of all time for Rolling Stones. Not exactly great. But anyway, uh, it was interesting because he tried to sue them to bring them back, and he eventually dropped the lawsuit. And they were the first former Motown act to win a Grammy Award for Best R&B Vocal Performance by a duo or group post-Motown. The Isleys, I had no idea. Carolyn, talk to me. How'd you find this one? Great line. Go ahead. Well, I have to say I'm old enough that I found it because I sung it all through my teenage years. And I will also say it's always been one of my favorite songs for the independence and the feistiness of it. And going back to what Clea was saying earlier um, about just heroines now, and I think women now in general, we need to be able to just be who we are. We do what we want to do. If we want to go to dinner in a fur coat alone, fine. If we want to, you know, whatever it is we want to do, now is the time in a way that it has not been the time. And I'm certainly old enough that there were a lot of things that were not acceptable to be done including to go to a restaurant by yourself you'd be embarrassed right a little bit to sit alone why don't you have a man with you blah 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 um but yeah it's your thing it's time to be able to just do what we want be who we want say what we want and just let it all to use another 60s truism let it all hang out be who we be so it's your thing do what you want to do I love it. I love it. And and it's interesting that there are heroes and heroines in our music, aren't there, also, as well as in our movies. There are, yes, the stories that people write in songs. There are a lot, lot, of, lot of iconic characters in those songs. Let's go to our predictions. We have time left, so let's see what we're going to do. Uh, Clea, I'm picking your prediction number one. So let's start with this, and here's what's going to happen. Take about three minutes to unpack your prediction, Clea. You know how this works. And if anybody else, Edwin, Carolyn, Katrina, want to say anything, about what Kalia is saying, just raise your hand, just point at me, and I will see you, because I've got you all on, on full gallery screen here in front of me. If not, I've already put in one prediction from Edwin. I picked one of yours. I think it was number three, because we've kind of covered one and two, but we'll get back to those. And Katrina, I put one for you, and Carolyn, I'll pick one for you. So let's see how many rounds of predictions we can do. Clea, here's your first prediction. Even for tough gals, quote unquote, strength will be measured in resilience. We've already used that word, but why don't you expand that for us? Clea, go ahead. Sure. Well, thanks very much. Um, I, I think we have talked about this. And I think this touches on something that we've all said um, that, uh, you know, with uh, with uh, female characters, with uh, protagonists, uh, toughness can be measured in different ways. I mean, Edwin and I both uh, mentioned Megan Abbott, though, though Edwin, her early books did feature, they were fictionalized accounts of real female killers, often from the 30s and 40s. Great fun. I recommend you look them up. Um, and, and then, you, of course, you have uh, sort of action heroine types. Uh, but I, I think what we're seeing more and more, uh, and I think this goes along with the greater emotional range, uh, that we are 
I like to perhaps we are allowed in real life, um, and that uh, publishing is uh, is allowing us. Uh, we're seeing a, a greater emotional range, um, and that means that that toughness, that survivability, is also measured in resilience. And the reason I wanted to put this in as a prediction is that I'm very curious as to how fiction is going to have been changed by by the last two years, and also to some extent by the uh, the previous uh, presidential administration. Um, we've all been through a lot of stress. And we're beginning to see that come out now. There's a lot of discussion about uh, pandemic novels, um, the Gary Steingart, um, among friends, I forget what it's called, among friends. I, I read it, I reviewed it, I can't remember the name. Um, but right now, I think as a global society, we're dealing with what has happened. And uh, I think uh, what we're going to increasingly um, uh, treasure, what we're going to look for is resilience. It's not just uh, how you can triumph, how you can win. It's uh, when you're laid low, as we've all been, how do you get up again? And I, I think that's uh, interesting to explore. Um, in in Hold Me Down, to toot my own horn here for a second, uh, my protagonist, Gal Raver, um, is a woman 20, 30 years perhaps past her prime. She was a rock star for a hot minute uh, back in the day. Um, she had a breakdown. She had the, the typical rock star substance abuse problems. Um, we're brought into the current day story because she has lost her best friend. Um, and the story is about her reclaiming her past, but it's also about how when tragedy changes you, who who do you become and how do you keep going? You, you can't go back to who you were. There is no, you know, going back to the pre-COVID world. Uh, we all have to move on. We've all been somewhat changed. How are we going to do that? What are the new paths we're going to form? I, that to me is incredibly interesting as a writer um, and as a reader. That's what I want to say. Interesting. And you said she was past her prime and she was a rock star in a hot minute. Very interesting. So past her prime, meaning I'm assuming that she has a lot of history, right? A lot of history, too. She has a lot of history. Uh, she is no longer a, a chart topping um, musician. Um, you know, she doesn't have the energy for it. And when we first meet her, she isn't even writing music anymore, which is a whole other issue. Interesting. Very interesting. Thank you, Clea. Good start to our predictions round. Edwin Hill, I'm looking at prediction number three. This is interesting. You say future heroines will care a lot less. And my questions are about what and less than what? What are they caring about now? So, Edwin, I need you to really unpack this for me. Go ahead. Well, I think this has already been covered. I think Katrina put it really well when she talked about walking down the street and going to dinner by yourself. Um, I think that if our future heroines will care less about what society thinks about them. They'll be, care less about sort of what they're supposed to be doing and will we'll sort of uh, uh, go boldly uh, forward in, in whatever that they want to do. Um, and uh, I, I loved Katrina's uh, simple example of that but it can be larger than that as well i will tell you i mean i spent a lot too much i spent way too much time personally thinking about what people uh caring about what other people uh think of things yeah. and i had this such an interesting conversation with uh, someone who i'm not uh, someone in the crime community an author in the crime community i was asking for some advice about uh, a business <clears throat> thing recently and this um this author said to me, you have to care less about what people think about you. And um, I thought, oh, that, that's, that's what I'm trying to bring to my, bring to some of my characters in these novels. And now I'm trying to bring it to myself as well. 
Isn't that interesting? So caring less. Yes, I think we're all, are we pleasers? Uh, women are supposed to be pleasers and nurturers. And, uh, you know, uh, I won't take the I won't take the ear tube on the plane. I'll give it to the old lady and the kids sitting next to me. And so what? You know, that kind of thing. Very interesting, Edwin. Katrina, you wanted to come in, please. Oh, it was, a, it was an example of an even smaller thing. This is just a flash round. Do people, are, is everyone here happy to go to the pictures, go to the movies on your own? Do you do that? No. You, yes, I that's do. another yes. one. I really? do that. And that's one of those, I go to the pictures on my own, I love it. Sometimes because no one else wants to see what I want to see. But some, But there's this thing where, and I learned this from a teenage girl who was learning it because things have got better, that instead of casting your awareness outside of yourself into someone's head and then having it reflected back and wonder what you think, <clears throat> just being yourself and what think, what do I think of you? Like learning to walk into a party, just being yourself in your own mind, deciding what you think of everyone who's there and not doing that thing where you, you throw your consciousness to someone else <clears throat> and you inhabit them and you look back at yourself and you wonder what they're thinking. But it's really hard because we, we do that. And, I, you know, I'm sort of sorry, but not sorry to hear that you do it too, Edwin, because I thought it was just women. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you all a quick story that I think was my moment of caring less. I was living in Eugene, Oregon. I was working. I was a, I, I'm an early woman in tech, by the way, everybody. I, I started out as a computer programmer analyst back in the days of the computers that take up a whole, almost a warehouse size room. And I was programming. I was key punching my code and writing thousands of lines on paper and then key punching. And I had a up and running within a couple of hours. I was good at what I did. Uh, Xerox Sigma 6 CP5, COBOL, and then an IBM 4341 coding in PL1. So I'm, and I'm considered an early woman in tech, and I've been invited to speak at some International Women's Days. Anyway, the point was I wanted to go to Cancun for a Christmas holiday, Christmas Hanukkah holiday. And none of my friends wanted to spend the money. They said, ah, we're going to California. We're going to stay with our uncle. Ah, we're going to go to the country. We're going to stay with our aunt. Ah, we're going to stay with our grandma. And they, nobody wanted to. So what did I do? I booked a damn trip to Cancun to Club Med by myself and I'd never done anything that independent in my entire life and I had to fly in a rainstorm from Eugene, Oregon to to San Francisco where the storm was incredible. I was in a homemade green suede suit. I took a bus to downtown San Francisco. I stood in a line outside of a huge theater where Peggy Fleming was performing the Ice Capades on stage and I asked, does anybody have a ticket? I'm in a rainstorm with an umbrella and the this family of eight, two people, one person didn't show up. They said, we'll sell you our ticket for $52. I peeled out the 50 I sat in the middle of a family of nine, sixth row center orchestra watching the ice capades. Then I got back on a bus, went back to the airport, slept across three chairs at the airport waiting for a flight to Texas. I don't even know what airport. At four in the morning, we went to Texas. I slept in another three chairs. Finally, they took us to Cancun. There were no cabs available. I couldn't get the charter flight to Cancun to, to Club Med because everybody, everything had been booked weeks before. I scheduled it late. I had to go all this on my own. I got there scared to death. The driver would take me to some place and dump me. Ended up so <laughs> late at Club Med. They gave me a private room. Here I am alone in a strange country. I was afraid of everything. And then this wonderful family from New Jersey, a mother and father, probably in their mid to late 40s, with two kids who were in their late teens and early 20s, adopted me. And I became their fifth person. And I had lunch and dinner with them, and we all disco till four in the morning, and we made tie-dyed shirts. And I came back on my own through a snowstorm through Boise, Idaho. 
a little plane and finally home to Eugene. And my friend said, how was your vacation? And I said, it was a vacation of a lifetime. Wish you were there. You won't believe what you missed. And I had, right, Katrina? I had my memories. I was sitting in a restaurant in a fur coat, basically, you know, metaphorically speaking. This was my not caring. I, I've never done, <laughs> I've done a lot of brave things, but that was one of the, the bravest. Had a great time. Anyway, let's move on. Thank you for sparking that memory. I hope you enjoyed that. It's all true. Let's go to Katrina. I'm looking for at your prediction number one. This is interesting. You say future heroines will be reflective, not in the glitter ball sense. You, I predict that future heroines in my genre, you're talking about your crime genre, won't be uniformly straight white and able-bodied, but will be increasingly LGBTQ plus B-I-P-O-C plus P-W-D. Can you please give me the vocabulary for what that all is, please? Go ahead, Katrina. I mean, LGBTQ plus is is okay. Um, uh, People of, uh, like... Yeah, black, indigenous, and people of color, and PWD, people with disabilities. Instead of what my favorite acronym, which is TABS, T-A-Bs, the temporarily able-bodied, because that's all you know, right? You can't say, I'm an able-bodied person. At the moment, you know, you can be straight, white, cis, het, male, able-bodied until old father time gets you. We're all going to the same place. Um, I hope so, and I think so. I think when I started writing, I, I could have written a character that was reflective of me, so I was, you know, like, I was born in what you would call the projects, that's not what we call it, we call it council houses, uh, left school when they were 15, first person in my family to go to university, all that stuff. But I was writing about the golden age of detective fiction, and I made my heroine an aristocrat so that she would have the money and she would have the freedom. Because married aristocratic women who'd had an heir and a spare, ideally that looked like their husband, wink, they were about the freest women there were, so this woman would be free to move around. Excuse me. But then I thought, I wish I hadn't. I wish I'd made her someone who lived in a cold water flat, you know, in a tenement. I wish I'd made her someone more like who I would have been in the 30s. And I kept going downstairs. I kept going beneath stairs to the servants or into the coal mines or into the, you know, where my people were. And it took me until the standalone novels that I started to write uh, women like me and people like me. And then I think, I mean, there was a moment before in the 90s when there were, in the crime fiction genre, when there were um, imprints, whose names I can't remember now, that were beginning to publish the stories of people of colour and LGBTQ plus people. And then they didn't survive. Not many of them survived. One writer um, survived, whose name, unbelievably, Ellen Hart has come back, thank God, who's still with that big New York publisher, hanging on grimly. Uh, but now, here we go again, and there are, there are novels being published uh, more reflective of the actual world, less aspirational, you know, not everyone's skinny and red shoes and, and lives in a far- fabulous apartment. And I wonder, and I really hope, that this is another moment. I hope this is a permanent change. I hope this is our new, our new normal. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm watching uh, the TV series Sitting on a Hill with Kevin Bacon and Aldous Hodge and um, Mark O'Brien was in it briefly until he got shot in the face. But anyway, there are a couple of, of female lead actresses who are 
so flawed. You don't know whether to feel sorry for them or hate them. Um, Kevin Bacon's wife, Jenny, Jenny Rohr, she's even afraid she drops out of school. She wants to take a psychology class, and her family puts her down. What do you mean going to school? You're getting out of degree after all these years. And then she wants to sing in the church choir, and she said, oh, my God, are they going to put me in the front row? And the woman is so scared of her own shadow. And then there's there's uh, Grace Campbell, who is a, a woman, an activist, a woman of color in, in the projects in Boston, who is a leader in trying to get HUD money to fix the lights in the hallways. And ch- and it turns out her two sons are, <laughs> her two sons are two of the lead cartel drug dealers who are murderers and right under her own nose, and she doesn't know it. So when, when the truth comes, she can't face it, and she lies to protect her sons, who were the ones who were killing the kids that she went to their funeral. So you see such flawed, and I don't know if somebody would say Grace Campbell was a heroine in her community, because then they go and they completely flaw her, and she becomes a loyal mom, but she lies. So it's it, it just amazing. So talk about real scenarios that are, yes, that not perfect, not perfect, but loyal and, and resilient. I think you can all know. So if you haven't watched it, it's it's F-bomb heavy. Every other word is the F-bomb. It's hard to watch, and the scenes are very, it's a difficult show to watch. But anyway, I thought it was interesting. Let's go. Uh, Clea, go ahead. Uh, just a quick comment uh, following up what uh, Katrina said. Um, I'm hoping that we're beginning to see this turnaround. Uh, there is a movement in publishing, uh, the own voices movement of uh, trying to get uh, more people who aren't, you know, cis white, uh, you know, straight people uh, to write uh, either, you know, LGBTQIA plus uh, characters, uh, more writers of, of color, uh, some of whom are now huge, like Kelly Garrett has a new book out. And oh my God, she has just broken and she's she's a really fun writer she happens to be a black woman her books are you know you do not have to be uh any they're books for everybody and you should read them um and we're also seeing uh, uh you know more transgender writers uh dharma keller here um and uh, you know i I, th- I sort of feel like the last thing to come up are um are, uh, are writers with disabilities or, or differently abled writers i sort of feel like that's the one that's still lagging but keep your eye open for the own voices movement because that's when you're going to see more writers writing their own lived experience that's all i want to say thank you thank you and i do have a prediction from carolyn that, w- that was already teed up and i want to get to this because this is we haven't talked about this carolyn says stories that feature spiritual non-religious spiritual or paranormal paranormal elements will continue to grow in popularity i'm going to say whoo carolyn uh, we've only got six minutes left to the show but take your full three minutes i want to hear this carolyn wilkins go ahead so i'll just say obviously this comes from my own lived experience as a psychic um and as someone who's kind of existed on these fringes and there was time years ago where in sort of quote intelligent circles among intellectually educated people one did not necessarily want to mention anything involving uh, something that could not be completely explained touched or felt um, in the physical world and I feel that this is changing if you look at some of the TV shows that have been enormously popular 
Taylor, there's Medium, for example, and there are all the shows that feature actual psychics, the Long Island Medium, and she became this huge celebrity. And I think now, particularly that we've come through this pandemic and these really difficult times and people are dying and we are pushed up against the reality that we do not know everything. We cannot explain everything. There are things happening in the world for which there's no rational, our many college degrees are not necessarily going to be able to explain. And I think the reading public and people in general are more curious now and more open to accepting that there's more than meets the eye to a lot of things and that characters who have the ability to um, see beyond what the rest of us can see and experience into that liminal world in which we all uh, inhabit um, are going to be increasingly popular and people are going to be interested in reading about them. So that's my little pitch for that. Thank you very much. Very interesting. I just, late to the show, I, I started watching and I finished Goliath. I couldn't get through a couple of seasons. But in season three, there is a, a paranormal experience where he goes back and forth into a dream where his mm. father, played by Robert Patrick, is on a, and a crow keeps flying. And he keeps getting shot and seeing himself being shot. And then he's a sheriff with a badge trying to get on a train. And the train is never, nobody knows when the train is going to come into the station. It, and, and they take you from these very dark scenes in in Chinatown in San Francisco into mm -hmm. this dream scene and there's no no easy cut where you know and I'm, I know we're talking about feminine heroines today but there is this this paranormal if you haven't seen it Carolyn I think you'll enjoy it and mm. it just cuts back and forth and then finally the dream resolves in the last mm last episode but you nice. are you are thrown into the stream you say what happened where he got shot oh my god there's the blood there's the he's a sheriff now and who's in the town who's the guy on the train and they keep dragging you back and forth and it's so paranormal and they do this in other seasons of goliath billy bob thornton is quite something clea quick remark and then we got to close in two minutes go ahead uh sure after uh after world war one there was this uh that's when spiritualism at, le at least I, I believe in uh in europe perhaps in america too uh first sort of had its first flowering so maybe now following covid following all the deaths or we're seeing uh, you're nodding I guess that's I, I guess I'm just repeating what you, you said we're going to see an out uh, an, uh, a burst of spiritualism absolutely what goes around comes around and we're in a new cycle the whole thing the war <laughs> the COVID the pandemic the interest in uh, beyond the reality all of that well said yes yes and what goes around, if you think about it, swirling around our, our thoughts, our memories, our ability to tap into that and accept it, like it or not. Does it frighten us? Does it, is it escapism? Is it something we want? Is it something we want to read about? I, I want to propose another topic and bring all four of you back in late summer, early fall for what's in a name, the role of technology in naming your... <laughs> would, you, would you like to do that? What do you think? Edwin, Edwin would you... 
Yeah, he's shaking his head no, and he said sure. Okay, oh, no, I take that take great. that as I take that as a yes. Yeah, I'll I'll send you all a date. So I want to say thank you to all of you, each of you, Clea Simon again. Yay, Clea, you. you brought the. I'm just absolutely delighted to meet Edwin and Katrina and Carolyn. I have such great esteem for all of you as writers and as speakers and as futurists. You didn't know you're a futurist, but I named you. <laughs> you're my futurist for today. I have to get going here, and I want to thank Ryan Treasure, our EVP at Voice America World Talk Radio and our extraordinary engineer as Aaron Keller is off visiting his family in Ohio. Hello, Aaron, if you're listening or watching us. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I have a quick homework assignment from my guests. We're going to and stick around. We want to talk for a second afterwards. So here's the deal. Raise your hand, and on the count of three, I'm going to have you say no, no, no when I get to three. All right, wag your finger. Edwin, Clea, Katrina, Carolyn. People say the future is already here, and I say one, two, three. No, 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 no. 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 That was yesterday's future. Today's future hasn't happened yet, and we're all going to do our damnedest to make it a better one. Everybody wave goodbye. Goodbye, Facebook. Goodbye. Thank you, Bonnie. And thank you. Don't go away. We're going to talk. Thank you, Ryan. Are we over? We done? Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. 